call me the gambler. <laughs> <laughs> you are more or less the Kenny Rogers of the podcast. Well, this southern heat giving me the agonies. <laughs> Perhaps you'd like to retire with a nice game of gin rummy or Dwight Yoke Dwight Yoakum. <laughs> a game of Dwight Yoakum? Yeah, Texas Texas Yoakum. <laughs> uh I got these, well, I don't have these cards. I found these cards on the table. They're president cards. Oh, yeah, yeah. They are insane. <laughs> Tell me about them. I haven't looked at all of them yet, but I haven't figured out exactly. There's 52 cards in a deck, right? That's, right. That's where you get 52 pickup. But I think the, when the, these, the one card game that you're talented at. Pretty proficient. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, uh, I gotta say, like, we haven't had fifty-two presidents yet. No, no. So some of these must be repeats or like facts. I haven't looked through them all yet. Maybe but, they threw in a couple people like Ben Franklin or like Don uh, William McKinley. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Man, this guy sucks. <laughs> Who won the Spanish-American War, ushering an era of U.S. imperialism. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. He is on the 10 of, what's this one? It's, it's a, a it's club. It's a little clover. Oh, it's a club? Yeah. The clover's a club. Just call it a clover. Anyway. The, the, the pointy black one is a spade. What? Yes. Okay. But the he's on the 10 of the, he's on the 10 of clovers, right? And uh, we've yes. got, I found Lincoln. I can't find him now, but I found him earlier. He's on like the fucking two of hearts. <laughs> and then some one termer who uh approved the Dred Scott decision and was like, nope, slavery's good. <laughs> He's on the ace. And the ace is higher, right? Technic sometimes? Uh, it depends because you could say that the ace is one. It depends on the game. It's also like eleven, or like it's like the king yeah. or like or- God. It's like over, it's higher than the king, yeah, it's or like, one. It's like the pope of the cards. Oh yeah, <laughs> I like that. That's the way you have to relate things is comparing them to uh, the, only, the structure of the Catholic Church. It's the only one I know. <laughs> uh, Benjamin Harrison. Okay, yeah. He was the twenty third president and admitted six states to the union. Doesn't say which. Uh, so vice president was Levi Parsons Morton. I think that's made up. Yeah. A lot of these guys just have like the waspiest names because that's all that they would let become president. Oh, here it is. Grover Cleveland's on the eight of the Clovers. And his whole card is about how he just ordered uh, federal troops to just kill a bunch of strikers. (laughs) (laughs) This was certainly made for a certain market, I think. Yeah. They, they're, I think they lean, they lean conservative. I think you know, but we have so many ugly men. Yep, bunch of ugly, almost entirely white men. Almost, and Obama's not in this deck. So, as far as the deck's concerned, it was made after two thousand eight, but they just took him out. Well, they didn't want to <laughs> include some, no, this, <laughs> some Nigerian. Uh, no, he's Kenyan. Oh, Kenyan, you're right. Uh, but this is just... Oh, apparently, I found a thing. This is apparently just Buchanan to Harding. Oh. So this isn't even the whole game. So I guess they're just, like, repeated. 
There's so many Grover Cleveland cards. Lincoln's always the two. That's what little regard they hold him in for freeing the slaves. So he could be oh, beat by basically anything. So is is everybody the same number just for every suit? Yes, that's what I'm discerning. Ah, uh, this is a nightmare. Yeah, I hate these cards. I'm gonna throw them in the garbage. Well, speaking of world leaders, uh, there was a recent thing that happened that you had uh, anticipated for months now. Yeah, I think by the time this comes out, we'll be too far past it, but. I don't know. I think, I think actually... we can't not address it, though. But I think they're not burying her until Monday, so it'll be like still fresh in the conscience by the time this one comes out. Especially if you're a Patreon subscriber. Yes. Uh, um, Wait. Yes, you do get these episodes on Monday. Sometimes. Usually, I think well, it was Tuesday last week. Whenever. It's whenever it's done. Whenever boss wakes up. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, she's dead. I yep. think, uh, you know, I was always just kind of joking a little bit. You know, I really, now that she's gone, I miss her. <laughs> you know? It's like uh, it's like Cinderella said, you, you don't know what you got until it's gone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All I got is just this song. <laughs> you know, and that song is uh, God Save the Queen. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, God can only do so much. Yeah. Especially with her. She was a demon. <laughs> but uh, also, but speaking of uh, figures of uh, historical import and times of old, uh, I think that brings us to the subject of today's film in a yes, roundabout way. I, I think in a roundabout way. In fact, uh, much as the queen is a demon, maybe there is an object in this film that is uh, in some way cursed or even possessed by a demon. Uh, and, of course, I am talking about this week's episode of The Raincoat Report uh, with me, Boss, here with Jeremy. Hi. And uh, today we are talking about Pandora's Mirror, uh, one of the late films of Sean Costello. We have uh, had a little bit of time spent with Sean Costello on this podcast, uh, including but not limited to uh, the seduction of Lynn Carter and uh, Water Power. Both, well, one great film. (laughs) (laughs) But um, this week's film is interesting. It's kind of a change of pace for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was reading that, like, you know, he stopped making movies around 82-ish or something like that. Sure. Uh, and this is an 81 release, I believe. But he uh, had a successful career in advertising following his uh, porn film career. So, good on him. But uh, he was not done with filth in 1981. No, he was still there. He was still there. He's so, on a filthy thread. Yes. So uh, this film is a uh, starring role for Veronica Hart uh-huh. as the titular Pandora. I would say this really isn't her mirror. Uh, more of a mirror she's interested in and may eventually have... A, it's a mirror unto the soul. It is a mirror unto the soul. So in that way... She belongs to the mirror. Oh, yeah. This should be called The Mirror's Pandora. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
this is kind of a interesting and fun film that I think uh, sets us up for future episodes yeah. as uh, we are about to get into the five weeks of fright on Raincoat Report. I'm sure are. Uh, starting next week, uh, and actually next week this time, unlike in uh, last week's episode where I said <laughs> it was going to start this week and you quickly corrected me. But it's actually happening this time, and in fact, we're going to start with another film by Sean Costello that we picked out not really thinking about it. Yeah. But it's, uh, it's fun because there is a, a bit of carryover between the two, and we'll uh, be able to talk about that. A lot of uh, repeated appearances from people. Mm-hmm, certainly. And uh, subject matter that we visited before, but uh, it, this is in a different way, we'll say. But anyway, we'll worry about that next week. This week, we have to worry about Pandora's Mirror. So once again, Veronica Hart plays Pandora, the lead character here. Mm -hmm. um, and there are some supporting characters, uh, specifically Sandra Hillman, who plays her friend Liz. Yeah. Uh, she's in there throughout the film. Yeah. There is an Eddie Murphy-level performance from Frederick Foster, who this plays five characters, I believe, Yeah. in this film. Oh, yeah. He wore many wigs. <laughs> he did. He wore many wigs. Uh, he did not have sex, which is fine because I didn't really need to see him have sex. No, he's but on... his performances are top notch. Yeah, they're fine performances, but he's just an older guy. I don't want to see him really fucking too much. Yeah, but of course we also have the great Jamie Gillis in here, who yeah. has a moderately small role. Although yeah. most of the characters, other than Pandora, in this have fairly small roles. Sure, and he's uh kind of pandora's fiance boyfriend something like that they're they're in some sort of relationship i kind of it, it seemed to me more like they were kind of more casual it seems that way um but regardless uh you know there are some conflicts there that we'll get into yes um this one kind of plays around with uh some historical uh fiction <laughs> yeah and also, so a little bit of horror tropes, again, to, to tease things up for next week. Mm -hmm. um, it's uh, it's interesting. But in addition to the people that I named, we also have appearances from George Payne, uh, Jerry Butler, Marlene Willoughby, um, Dave Ruby, who uh, we would remember from the Avon film Daughters of Discipline as the father. Yes, that's also a Sean Costello film. Oh, uh, is it? Yeah, it was just he did it under a pseudonym. I don't think we ever bothered to check. Uh, or maybe it's Daughters of Dominance, I think I saw. There's, he, okay, so this is, Daughters of Discipline is a Phil Prince film. Okay, that's right. But Sean Costello did one, I think it's like da Daughters of Darkness, that is a, of a similar name. Uh, that I believe is part of Vinegar Syndrome Storefront Theater Collection. Okay, we'll have to we'll have to poke into that. We've got plenty of that to get through. Daughters of Discipline. We watched Daughters of Dominance. Yeah. Okay. It's all this is confusing, but uh, they're basically interchangeable words. Yes. Uh, regardless, <laughs> I thought it was interesting to see him. Uh, we also see Ron Hud, yeah. who was in last week's episode of uh, Her Name Was Lisa, yep. as the guy at the end. 
who is unnamed, who has sex with his wife with Lisa. Yeah, yeah. In the last sex scene of the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I don't recall seeing much of him in the past, but we also see him in next week's episode, so... Yeah, he's just bumbling around at this point. Uh, Hillary Summers, uh, Annie Sprinkle shows up, who yeah, we haven't briefly. seen much of, but she's a name that we haven't really covered much. No, yeah, we haven't watched much with her yet, and we should correct that. And, uh, serial, uh, alleged sex offender Ron Jeremy yeah, makes an appearance up. as well. Yeah. He's a kitty cat. Yeah, he's he's a man in a cat mask. <laughs> but yeah, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on in this film, and uh, we're going to cover it for you, the lovely audience of The Raincoat Report. Uh, and if you want to be even more lovely, you can always join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash raincoatreport. That would make them very lovely. $5 a month, you get two bonus episodes and early access to our current episodes without ads. Yep. And uh, this Friday, yeah. we're going to be uh, giving kind of an early start to five weeks of fright. Yeah, as we We've prepared a something of an anthology of frights for you, yeah. the uh, subscribing listener. Yes, uh, and if you want to get on that, like Boss said, five dollars. It's all good. Yes, so uh, we're gonna get real spooky on Pornhub this week, and. Yeah. Uh, you will be scared stiff and erect with fear. I think that's fair to say. I know I was. <laughs> All right. So uh, without further ado, we're going to go ahead and take a break. And then we'll be back to talk more about Pandora's Mirror. 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 Jeremy, have you ever owned a creepy mirror? No. All of my mirrors have been blessed. Well, that's good. I've owned... Perhaps I've owned some cursed objects in my time. <laughs> I don't know. I've found a lot of, like, stuff. I found a... I have a knife that I found just, like, out on the sidewalk. Yeah? I have that still. It's in my car, actually. Have you been given reason to believe it may be cursed? Cursed or maybe used in a crime and disposed of. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I think it it could be. I hear it calling me sometimes. That's <laughs> that's uh, concerning. Yeah, well, that's why I didn't bring it in. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, I just keep it out in the car, so uh, in case I have a car fight. Have you seen... Uh, oh, God, what is it? It's Amityville, the, I think it's like the next generation or the new generation or no, something. No, that's the one about, I don't have not seen their movie about a mirror, a mirror. You yeah. Have, you have to pronunciate a mirror. 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 Amityville, a new generation from 1993. Yeah. So that was the one that takes place in, uh, LA Skid Row and, uh. Just so happens somebody's gotten a hold of a mirror from the Amityville house and 
nasty stuff comes from that. It's kind of fun because it's got this, like, you know, 90s artist vibe going mm-hmm. on. But uh, it's not the best of those cursed object Amityville movies, but it was uh, entertaining. It's not that much like Pandora's Mirror, though. <laughs> no. Uh, one time I was at a sleepover, yeah. and this kid was looking in, like, this big, like, full-length, like, closet door mirror, and I remember it just chattered and everyone laughed because he was ugly. <laughs> but, well, uh, then I think he, the kid that lived there got in trouble because, like, their huge bedroom mirror had just, like, exploded. Right. <laughs> I don't know what caused it to shatter. I don't know if he hit it or what happened, but I just remember him looking into it and then it being in a million pieces. <laughs> Those are the important parts of the story anyway. Yeah. Kids Ugly, The Mirror Breaks, classic comedy setup. <laughs> <laughs> well, Pandora's Mirror doesn't quite have a comedy setup, but it does have a setup that includes, well, opening with credits <laughs> uh, and nothing really happening until those finish, but... From there, the camera pans down from some trees to reveal two ladies walking down the street. The grandparents had a cursed clock. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Was that, was it kind of like Amityville 1992, It's About Time? Kind of. It would mostly just, like, the tolling of it scared me as a child. Oh, that's fair. Yeah, so that would be like... It would, like... I would have, like, a Pavlovian response that would create night terrors and ghouls and stuff whenever it would chime. That's a bummer. Yeah, I was real scared of uh, ghosts and stuff as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> I was very concerned that I was going to be spirited away by an apparition. Well. Now I would welcome it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, something to change things up a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it would be kind of cool to ride the night winds. <laughs> But unfortunately, I have to content myself with podcasting, so uh, let's get back into it. (laughs) Right, so, yeah, we're introduced to Pandora and Liz, so that's Veronica Hart playing Pandora, and uh, Liz being played by Sandra Hillman. Liz is talking about all the stores nearby being pricey, and... Prices are too damn high. I feel you, girl. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Pandora's kind of zoning out, but then Liz brings up that her friend Helen Latimer went out with Olivia Newton-John's gynecologist. Yeah. Uh, Pandora doesn't seem too interested at first, but Liz brings up, well, this is your opportunity, Pandora, to find out what Olivia Newton-John's cunt is like. Uh, and that's how she phrases it. It's at this point that Liz starts to get distracted herself, and then Pandora presses her. And yells out, what does Olivia Newton-John's cunt look like on the sidewalk? And uh, Liz stops and finally answers, it was boring. <laughs> they then wander into a shop and start to look around. This is a shop full of antiques and such. Yeah. And there's a old man shopkeeper who works mm-hmm. there. Classic Twilight Zone store. Yes. Uh, this is the old shopkeeper, as he's credited, played by Frederick Foster. In one of his many roles. Yes, this will not be the last time we see him. (laughs) They chat with the shopkeeper briefly. um, Pandora asks how long the shopkeeper's been there, and he answers, I've always been here. That should be a sign that something's up. No. (laughs) The ladies browse around and... He's he's old. Right? (laughs) That's where he's always been. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
The ladies are browsing around, and Liz puts on a top hat. Pandora is drawn to an item covered in a sheet behind some stuff. Uh, she asks what that is, and the shopkeeper says there's nothing back there, but Pandora unburies it anyway and pulls the sheet off. And immediately as she sees this mirror under the sheet, she starts seeing flashes of sex scenes that we will see more of later. Yes. It's a mirror that makes you horny. Pandora is frozen for a moment, but they get her attention and the shopkeep suggests that they go out and get some air. So as Liz and Pandora walk out, the shopkeeper takes the open sign on the door and turns it around to where it says closed. Yes, he's... Do you remember the... It wasn't really a magic mirror, but in uh, Hot Rackets, she like she goes to the club and she gazes into a mirror and she like imagines like a real long and detailed sex scene. Oh yeah! I think this might be the same mirror. That makes sense. This mirror travels across the pornoverse. Yes, <laughs> across the pornoverse. Yeah, that's... just as John Lennon told us. <laughs> We cut to Pandora at her apartment, and she's looking out the window, and she sees a couple of beefcakes working out on the roof of a nearby building. This yeah. is our man George Payne, mm -hmm. along with, I believe it's Jerry Butler. Yes, yeah. Jerry Butler. Mm -hmm. Jerry Butler did a lot of modeling over the years, but he has been in a few things that we've seen. I believe he was in, was he in one of the Pretty Peaches one of the sequels, maybe not. Okay, I was thinking, was he Peach's Dumb dumb Boyfriend? I think uh, not. I think he was, was not, no. Okay, that was like in the third one. I think he was like way more like a hunk type. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not that he's like not, he's like buff and stuff, but he was more of like a himbo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, he's in Taboo 3, but we haven't watched that yet. Oh, okay, he, he's been in a bunch of stuff. We've he's have seen Mr. Butler. We've seen him around, butlering around. But anyway, these two guys, they're just kind of making out on a roof nearby and don't notice Pandora at all as she's glaring at them out the window. She is also seeing intermittent flashes of sex like she saw before when looking in the mirror. We cut to Pandora looking into her bathroom mirror. She pulls off her robe to reveal herself in a white bra and panties and a garter belt with stockings. This whole part is kind of shot like a horror film. Yeah. And the music itself is incredibly, it's very like a tense droning kind of yeah. John Carpenter theme a little bit. Uh, there's also this constant beeping, which my dog hated. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she needs to uh, change her fire. Uh, she, needs to cha yeah. she needs to change the battery in her, her fire alarm. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's, uh, or maybe her carbon monoxide. Maybe that's what's going on. That would explain a lot in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> she uh, soon drops her bra and starts to rub her nipples. Then we cut to her showering with no water. No, I didn't even... It's so commonplace, I don't even clock it anymore. Uh, also... But, uh, thank you for carrying on the proud tradition. <laughs> we also see, uh, you know, she's also showering with the shower curtain just wide open. She's touching herself and imagining the muscle guys stuffing both of their cocks in her mouth. Yeah. As she uh, undresses in the fantasy. She's doing some ball licking. Yeah. And eventually. We see her fingering herself in the shower. She imagines the guys fucking her pussy and mouth. Uh, we, the weird droning music continues throughout. <laughs> 
We see one of the guys finishing Pandora's mouth in the fantasy as she's seemingly getting off in the shower. Then we cut to a shot of the store again. We see Pandora approach, but the close sign is up. Pandora knocks repeatedly, and then we see the shopkeep approach the door and point at the closed sign. Pandora yells that she wants to see the mirror, and the shopkeep keeps telling her that they're closed and he's about to leave, but she, finally he allows her to come in. She wants to see her friend Amir. Yeah. <laughs> Amir! Amir! She offers to buy the mirror, offering a check or American Express, but the shopkeep says the mirror is not for sale. It's been in his family for years. She explains money is not an issue for her, but he says, again, it's not for sale. The shopkeep notes that he knew that she would be back, and that she would be back alone, because she's different from her friend. She finally talks him into showing her the mirror again. The shopkeep warns her the time she spends with it must be limited, or it could be dangerous. So the shopkeep removes the sheet from the mirror again, and Pandora stares into it. It's at this point that we flash back, and uh, we meet an older guy in a long wig in a barn, wiping down the mirror. This is Oliver McCardle. Yes, one of our great patriots. Yes. Um, Also played by Frederick Foster. Yep. He's then approached by Lydia, who is... Played by Tiffany Clark. Yeah, absolutely. I like that there's a different woman in each of these little vignettes that yeah. kind of replaces Pandora. Yeah. It would be it would have been easy just to throw her into everything. Right, right. But uh they really got some talent for this one. Yeah. So Tiffany Clark is playing Lydia, who is Oliver's younger wife. Oliver shows Lydia the mirror. It's a present to her. She says that she would feel vain taking a present like this, but he talks to her about how she deserves it, and she deserves to see her own beauty in it. He talks about her beauty and notes that even George Washington noted how beautiful she was. He tells her she just needs to look at herself in the mirror, but not to look too long, as it's enchanted. He explains it's made from wood from a tree that got hit by lightning last fall. Yeah. The wood from a tree struck by lightning is enchanted forever, he says. Yeah, that's just science. (laughs) Lydia says this talk of her beauty has her attention and suggests that he show her, hinting a midday rendezvous between the couple. Yeah, a little afternoon delight. But uh, he's offended by the idea of day sex (laughs) and leaves to go to town talking about how there are a bunch of uh, soldiers that abandon their armies that are uh, looting from both sides of Uh-oh. the uh, Revolutionary War that's going on at this point. Oh, dear. Oliver leaves, and Lydia stares into the mirror. We see Oliver galloping away on his horse and hear Lydia's inner monologue. She wants to know why he won't make love to her, despite saying she's beautiful. She talks about how she was warned not to marry such an older man. Lydia undresses and plays with herself, staring into the mirror. We then cut to see some soldiers. Uh, there's two American soldiers and one British soldier. You can tell by the color of their coats. Yes. <laughs> uh, they're apparently deserters, noting that if either army finds them, they're going to be in tons of trouble. One notes that they saw a nearby farm, and we cut back to Lydia watching herself in the mirror as she rubs her breasts and vagina. 
She says, if you truly are an enchanted mirror, I need someone to want me. I need a man. Any man. The soldiers then happen upon Lydia, and from afar see her naked looking at herself in the mirror. Oh my. Does the enchanted mirror also grant wishes? Perhaps. I think this is just coincidence. I'm not sure. It's not really established clearly enough in this film to make that judgment, I don't think. Alright, it's all left to your, your own speculations. We'll think about that as we go through it. Maybe there are more clues that I didn't catch. Yeah, we'll find the clues. That's what the Raincoat Institute is all about. No. No? No, that's uh, it's my private detective agency that I've started. Oh. Yeah. It's the... It's also called the Raincoat Report. <laughs> so the soldiers pause when they see Lydia. They watch silently for a moment, and then they rush Lydia and throw her down onto the hay, laying her on a blanket. Two guys are getting their cocks sucked while the other goes down on her. They, she's sort of fighting them at first, but uh, she quickly is not. This is the sort of American-British collaboration that could have prevented the Revolutionary War altogether. Yeah, we should have stopped fighting and started fucking, but we were too, uh, too short-sighted. We were. We see one of the guys drop a big load on Lydia's face, and she sucks his cock a bit more as another guy continues to go down on her. He is kind of like just biting at her vagina here. <laughs> he has taken some nibbles. She gets a second load on her face, and then uh, the remaining British soldier starts to fuck her, leaning her back on the hay. This continues for a bit with the other two kissing her and rubbing their cocks on her. After a bit, the Brit pulls out and comes on her pubes. We fade back to Pandora, still staring at the mirror. The shopkeep says she's seen enough for today and covers the mirror. He has to call her name a few times before she finally gets out of her trance. She asks the shopkeep again, and he again confirms that this is not for sale. But he says she can see it again, but she's seen enough for today. We cut back to Pandora's building, and we hear a phone ring. Pandora gets a phone call from Peter, played by Jamie Gillis. Mm -hmm. He notes it's a full moon and invites her to the beach with him. He tells her he could always call someone else, uh, as she kind of seems hesitant. She tells him he probably should and hangs up on him. <laughs> we hold on her face afterwards, and the shot slowly fades out. We cut to Day, and Pandora's sitting outside at a cafe getting coffee and doing a crossword puzzle. She glares over, and we see that this cafe is across the street from the shop, and the sign says that it's closed at the moment. She's just fiending for another glance into the mirror's depths. Yes. Liz, her friend, catches up with her and asks what's going on with her and Peter. Liz got a call from Peter, who told her that Pandora hung up on him. Liz notes that she thought they were practically engaged. Maybe they are a little more than just ca casual then. It's hard to say. But they weren't actually engaged. They were practically engaged. Yes. His name is Peter Kenner. He's heir to the Kenner Toys fortune. Oh. <laughs> yeah. They made the Star Wars toy, so he's set up for life. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And this is in the height of Star Wars mania. Yeah, it's right there. It's 1981. There's a Return of the Jedi is going to come out soon, and everyone's going to fall in love with the scrappy little fella named 
salacious crumb. (laughs) (laughs) But right now we're riding high on that Empire Strikes Back money. Yeah. Liz says something's going on with Pandora and suggests that maybe Pandora's seeing somebody else. Pandora tells her to fuck off as she watches the shopkeeper enter the shop across the street. Liz says that Pandora should take care of Peter and notes that she would take care of Peter if she were her. Liz walks off and then we see Pandora enter the now open shop. She tells the shopkeeper that she's there to see the mirror and he once again warns that it may be dangerous, especially so soon since yesterday. But Pandora demands to see the mirror. The shopkeeper takes her there and uncovers it again. Pandora stares, and we fade into a shot where we see a newspaper talking about Roosevelt winning. Yeah, now we're in old Hollywood. We are, and we're introduced to a wise guy who we find out is Mr. Freed, an agent in Hollywood. Yeah, I don't know if he's a wise guy or not. Do they make that clear? He, uh, he is... I don't think that they in any way imply that he is a wise guy. He's just kind of dressed in that sort of way. Yeah, he's got that... He's got that sleazy, rich guy vibe to him. Yeah, he's probably a wise man. He's chatting with Lancelot Duvall, who is talking about wanting to be a movie star himself. So Lancelot Duvall is uh, played by Dave Ruby of daughters of something or another fame (laughs) we then cut to veronica barrett who is played by marlene willoughby she is a movie star and she's talking to carlos who i believe works for her yeah some kind of general muscle yeah pool boy something like that But she notes that she wants Carlos to please her now, so uh, Carlos tells her that Mr. Freed is there, but Veronica notes that agents always wait for the stars, so Carlos then approaches uh, Miss Barrett and opens up her robe. We cut back to Mr. Freed by the pool talking to Lancelot. Lancelot notes that Miss Barrett told him that he needed a catchy name, and that's how he came up with Lancelot Duvall. Yeah, it's French. (laughs) We cut to Carlos fucking Miss Barrett and standing doggy against a column in front of her house. She and Carlos slowly fall to the ground after apparently finishing. Back at the pool, Lancelot tells Mr. Free that he's Miss Barrett's fiancé. It's at that point that... Miss Barrett shows up and starts talking to Mr. Freed and sends Lancelot to get Mr. Freed a drink. Mr. Freed says that the studio's worried about all the money they spent covering up her, quote, last escapade. It's something about the Simmons boy, uh, and he was 17. (laughs) But uh, Veronica, Miss Barrett, notes, he had a cock like a mule. Good for him. (laughs) But it's still illegal. Right. You're going to jail now. (laughs) This is old Hollywood. She would never go to jail for this. Yeah. Mr. Freed has brought her the mirror for her birthday. Uh, It's sitting there with a bow around it. When Miss Barrett looks at it, she says, Oh, a picture of my favorite person. She's looking at her reflection. Okay. Mr. Freed notes the studio's sending over a new makeup girl today, and Mr. Freed says to make sure to be good to her, 
Miss Barrett promises not to touch a hair on her head, but we see her fingers are crossed behind her back. Yeah, she didn't say shit about pussy hair. That's true. (laughs) We then cut to a woman being driven to Miss Barrett's house. This is Nancy Olson, who uh, is the aforementioned makeup lady being brought to Miss Barrett. Mm -hmm. Nancy shows up at Miss Barrett's place and notes that she's always admired her work. Miss Barrett has Nancy rub her legs down with what looks like red toothpaste. (laughs) Yeah, there's like her chauffeur is with her the whole time. Yes, yes. And he's just an uncomfortable looking pale man. Yeah. (laughs) I I don't, I could do without him. We see Miss Barrett roll over and as uh, Nancy is continuing to rub her legs, we get a good shot of uh, Miss Barrett's undercarriage. Excellent. Which is out in the open. For sure. Nancy continues to rub her down, and it's only moments later that Nancy is licking Miss Barrett's asshole. Yeah, it doesn't take long. <laughs> uh, there's a really good shot of uh, Marlene Willoughby kind of like sitting on the diving board mm-hmm. with like the with like an umbrella, and I think kind of just it's like she's like framed between like the rails. Mm-hmm. It's a really nice uh, symmetrical shot. Nice. Yeah, it's really well framed. I think it's always a uh, good to call that kind of thing out yeah yeah people people love that stuff yeah me too me too me too me and wes anderson love symmetry (laughs) (laughs) miss barrett says oh you're much better than the last one they sent out uh carlos and lance show back up and miss barrett introduces them to nancy uh, Lancelot says he'd like to see Nancy with her clothes off, so Nancy looks around timidly, then drops her dress to the ground, revealing her white bra and panties and dark stockings. She takes off her bra, then has her panties pulled down by the guys who start to kiss and lick her hips and ass as uh, Miss Barrett watches on. Carlos goes down on Nancy on the diving board while Lance kisses and licks her chest and nipples. Her hip bones stick out so far. Yes, they do. You could bite onto one of them and like get like a good grip. <laughs> <laughs> we cut to Nancy blowing Lance and the chauffeur who has joined them. Miss Barrett is touching Nancy and watching closely. We then see Lancelot fucking Nancy and standing doggy as she sucks off the chauffeur. We get some good underneath shots of the fucking. This continues for a bit, and the chauffeur finishes as Nancy strokes and sucks and more. Lancelot then pulls out and comes on Nancy's ass. We then fade back to Pandora. She notes, For a while, I thought I couldn't come back. The shopkeep again warns her spending too much time in front of the mirror is dangerous. We cut back to Pandora in her apartment watching the beefcakes on the roof nearby and touching her nipples and breasts. She then pulls herself away from the window, seeming to fight her urges. Pandora then answers the phone as it rings, and it's Peter again. She apologizes for hanging up on him uh, yesterday. He says he could be over there in a flash, and she can make it up to him. She tells him, maybe another time. Peter asks her if she's seeing someone, and she says no. He asks what's going on then, and she tells him, well, if you don't like it, don't call anymore, and hangs up again. Yes. (laughs) We see Peter setting his phone down, but as the camera pans over, we see that Liz is there with him. Uh Uh-oh. 
Liz tells Peter she must be seeing someone. She says that she can't stand to see Peter like this. She notes a man needs a woman who's there for him, who knows how to please him and make him feel like a man. Liz then opens up Peter's robe and takes his cock in her mouth. Yeah. She works his cock in her mouth a bit, and in one of the angles, we can see her cradling his balls as she's sucking. Excellent. After a bit, we cut to Liz licking Peter's hairy asshole. Yes, there's a lot of rimming in this film. There is, uh, and I appreciate her dedication. Yeah, she gets deep in there, and it's uh, it's quite a forest. Uh, In fact, speaking of forests, we soon see... Peter uh, finger-fucking Liz's asshole, which may be hairier than his. (laughs) We then move on to Peter laying sideways with Liz and fucking her vagina as he's gripping her jaw with his hand Mm -hmm. and rubbing her face. We migrate to a prone doggy position as Peter continues to fuck away. He slaps her ass a bit as he goes, and he grips her ass and uses his thumbs to kind of hold her asshole open. We see Peter fucking Liz with her legs pinned back on the couch. Mm -hmm. Liz says she's going to do something for him that Pandora would never do. She's going to let him come on her face. He fucks her for a few more seconds, and then he pulls out and gives her a facial. Man, there's not a ton to it, though. Yeah, yeah. It's not a huge shot, like, uh, not like some of the others in this film. Yeah, well, she sucks and licks his cock a bit more, and we fade out. Yeah, and that's the end of jamie gillis in this film yeah that's a wrap on jamie unfortunately it's not a bad role though he didn't even have to stand up that's true he is just sitting or laying down (laughs) or kind of fucking most of the time so it's pretty good money yeah we cut to pandora returning to the shop the shopkeeper notes she looks tired and different somehow she notes she found out something about herself last night what she needs what she doesn't need And she needs to see the mirror. (laughs) The shopkeep takes her to the mirror and Pandora asks if he's going to tell her to be careful again. And the shopkeep notes she's gone far beyond careful already. Pandora looks into the mirror. And then we see a line of women waiting for some sort of audition. We're introduced to Bonnie LeMay, who is played by Hilary Summers. Yes. Who is talking to Roz, being played by Moena March. Great. I don't know her. (laughs) They're in line talking about being nervous and having done a bunch of auditions. Bonnie notes that Bob Randall is starring, and they're excited about that. Inside, the people running the audition talk about how Barbara Mellon, a big producer, is coming down, and she's known to be interested in an actor with a big bulge, or... With large breasts. Outside, Roz tells Bonnie to watch out for Barbara Mellon. She's known to rip young actors to shreds. Bonnie notes she'd do anything to get this part, and Roz notes anything is a lot to offer to do. We then see Barbara show up alongside another woman, Maxine. Mm -hmm. So Barbara Mellon is played by Celeste Bond. Yes. And Maxine, her friend, is played by Candy Barber. Yes. You got it. So one of the guys already there is Eli, and I think he might be the director or like a producer or something for whatever they're putting on. Uh, Eli is also played by uh, 
our man Frederick Foster, who again was uh, Mr. Freed in the last scene as well. Yes, of course. Uh, this is Eli Rasp in this scene. It's a good name for a theater director. Yeah. <laughs> Eli welcomes Barbara. She shows up and offers her coffee, but she says all she wants is good actors. It's at this point that Bonnie is called in and she shows up for the audition, pausing to stare at Barbara before taking the stage. The production people whisper among each other, and when Barbara hears what they're whispering, which we don't hear, she asks back, anything? Apparently they heard Bonnie saying she would do anything outside. She tells them to close the auditions for the day then, and so they send all of the actors away, saying they can come back tomorrow at 9 a.m., Bonnie starts to walk away, but Eli asks her where she's going and explains the auditions are only over after she's done. Bonnie explains she was in a community theater in Grand Rapids. Eli finds this amusing, but talks about how he's looking for actors beyond embarrassment. He explains that he has a prop for her and talks her through a scene where she reads a letter attached to a box that she received. Eli is speaking the contents of the letter as Bonnie is looking down at the paper and reacting to it. This is when I finally notice that the mirror is on the stage. It's the star. <laughs> In the letter, uh, the writer notes that the present was something he kept close so that it has his scent and essence on it. And it's a way for him to stay close to her from far away. Bonnie opens the box... And it's a dildo, which is a bit short for a dildo, but it is quite uh, thick. Yes. Um, Bonnie he, is taken he, back at first. He kept that in his butt. Yeah. It's got it his essence his, on it. Yes. <laughs> it has his essence. <laughs> Bonnie seems taken aback at first. The letter, as he continues to uh, read out loud, notes that she should look at a nearby mirror and accept the gift. We see Bonnie look at the mirror for a moment, and then she drops her clothes to reveal her nude body and starts to lick the dildo. As Barbara's watching this, she and Maxine smile and hold hands. Bonnie starts to fuck herself with the dildo as Maxine and Barbara touch each other's legs. Eli watches this in excitement, and Barbara pulls Maxine's tit out with a big, puffy nipple. Yeah, there are some very, uh, like even for puffy nipples, they seem bigger than average. Yeah. Maybe like, she got stung by a bee. <laughs> I feel like that's like the biggest I've seen them without like machine assistance. <laughs> Bonnie on stage notes she's never done this by herself. And uh, that's when Bob Randall joins her. So Bob Randall is played by Ron Hud. It's Mr. Hud. She soon starts to blow Bob. And uh, we see Barbara licking Maxine's nipple. We cut back and forth between these couples, and Bob tells Bonnie that she's going to be a star one day, prompting her to suck his balls. This continues for a bit, with Barbara and Maxine having some sloppy tongue kisses, then Bonnie and Bob doing much the same. Bob then goes down on Bonnie as Maxine fingers Barbara. After a bit, Bob moves on to fucking Bonnie as they lay sideways on the stage. Barbara goes down on Maxine. This continues for a couple of minutes, and the camera drifts off, and we fade to Pandora, almost comatose, staring at the mirror. 
The shopkeep has to shake her to get her back. He covers the mirror and notes each time she gives in to the mirror, she seems further away. She asks again if he's going to sell it, and he says he can't, but he says that he's going to be gone for a few days and he'll allow her to keep it during that time. Why would he allow her to do this? I don't know. I think that he's trying to encourage this without letting on to it. I think so. I think he might be an immortal. He may be the devil. He might be, if not the devil, a lower order of demon, I believe. He is the one in each of these stories who is presenting the mirror to these women. Yeah, that's true. The mirror... Yeah, I think we're on to something. I don't think it grants wishes. I think it's a way for this demon to collect uh, souls. That makes a lot of sense. To reach the souls of the horny. (laughs) Well, the shopkeep notes that the mirror has a mind of its own. It has its own needs, and he notes that she can't let it see too much of her and she needs to keep it covered when she's not using it. We cut to Pandora in her apartment, looking at the beefy boys out the window again. She uncovers the mirror and stares into it as she sits on her bed. We then fade into a shot of a car pulling up to a place at night. A guy in a tux gets out with a woman. This is Edgar Ralston, again played by our buddy... Frederick Foster, mm-hmm. and he's alongside his wife, Alice Ralston, played by Merle Michaels. They head into a place, and Alice asks if Edgar knows what happens here at the Hellfire Club, Uh-oh. which is uh, a uh, real place mm-hmm. that uh, is a uh, legendary sex club. Yeah, it's a send-in. A send-in, yes. Where Ben Franklin would go and... Whip little boys. (laughs) Uh, Edgar says he does know about this, and that's why they came there. He notes that if she loves him, she'll experience all she can while she's there. He tells her to check the purse, and we see that the coat lady is being fucked and standy doggy by Ron Jeremy in a cat mask with whiskers. Yeah, he's a little kitty cat. (laughs) At the bar, everyone's dressed sexy and chatting and having a good time. Um, the Ralstons, as we're following them through, slowly walk past everybody and take in the sights, including people in various states of dress dancing around. We see a woman chained to a wooden contraption with a guy who, I believe it's George Payne, mm-hmm. stroking his cock by her face. She then starts to suck his cock. Meanwhile, Alice joins in and starts to go down on this chained up woman. After a bit, the guy comes on the woman's face. And then Alice approaches Annie Sprinkle, who plays the queen of the club, as she's credited. Mm -hmm. She's sitting on a red metallic reclined chair. Uh, And so the queen offers Alice what she describes as a throne fit for a queen. Edgar notes it's... The the four of the club is Ulysses Simpson Grant. (laughs) Thank you. Edgar notes it's the best offer that Alice has had all night, so Alice lays back in this chair and starts to suck a couple of guys' cock while another guy goes down on her. We see other groups fucking around the room as well. We drift around the room and see much sucking and fucking. Ron Jeremy is fucking Alice as she continues to blow two dudes with the queen assisting and encouraging. 
The guys she's sucking off come on her face and chest, with some going in her mouth. Uh, Ron Jeremy comes on her belly and pubes. Then we fade back to Pandora. She's transfixed, but shakes her head and then reaches forward towards the mirror. Was the mirror in that last scene? I don't recall it being in there. Now that I'm thinking about it, about it, maybe it was just like maybe it had been broken into a disco ball. (laughs) (laughs) Perhaps. I'm not sure. Maybe it was somewhere like there's probably a mirror hanging on the wall somewhere in the club. It wasn't the focus in this one. Yeah, I was more entranced with the sucking and fucking. I get that. There's a lot going. There's a lot of it. Yeah, going down. She reaches towards the mirror, and then we see Pandora watching the beefcakes again uh, on the rooftop across the way. But now they stand up and start to point at her. Pandora steps away from the window and looks in the mirror again. And then we see a shot framed in the mirror of the beefy boys in her apartment with her. Pandora lays on her bed and uh, reaches behind her towards their crotches. Then Pandora hears the shopkeeper's voice in her head, telling her to keep the mirror covered. So Pandora looks towards the mirror and starts to move toward it as she's going to cover it, but the guys pull her back towards them. Yeah, she's restrained by these beefy boys. Yeah, so Pandora then turns around and starts sucking one of the guy's cocks. Uh, I believe it's George Payne's. They've got quite beefy cocks as well. Yes, they do. Yes. She's quickly sucking both of the guys' cocks, and then one is fucking her as she's laying sideways, sucking the other's cock. We get some shots of this fucking in the mirror. We also see visions of the people she's been seeing in the mirror, calling her name Pandora, and saying, Join us! Ah. Uh, The guy fucking her uh, apparently comes on her pubes. We don't see it happening, but we do see the aftermath. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Then we see the guy she was sucking has also come. The voices again tell her to come to them. And then finally we see the guys on Pandora's bed holding Pandora's lingerie, but she's gone. Welcome home, Pandora, one voice says. We knew you'd come. The muscle boys are looking at each other in confusion and then stare into the mirror. Then we fade to black and get credits. Wow. And that was Pandora's Mirror. Jeez. Well, just goes to show you, can't trust an old fat man. (laughs) You know? That is true. Yeah. Well, with that in mind, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break, and then we'll be back to give our final thoughts on Pandora's Mirror. to give it a little huff every now and then (laughs) 
Well, welcome back to the Raincoat Report. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed this spooky tale about Pandora's Mirror, but... Mm-hmm. You've enjoyed a nice bottle of wood polish. Nice, <laughs> a nice rag of wood polish while you've been enjoying this podcast. <laughs> oh, I have. Well, in your uh, polish-addled brain, Jeremy, what do you think about Pandora's Mirror? I thought this was a pretty good film overall. I found myself drawn into this uh, very pretty interesting little tale about obsession. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a nice fantasy film. It's got some elements of horror as well. It's more of like... A, they're more subtle. They're not like really pronounced. Yeah, it's it's got more of kind, like of, kind of a... like a, a haunted mirror. Like, yeah. Know, kind of like a way that's not really like super scary, but it's like... They made an Amityville movie about it. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of more of like a thriller type vibe. There's like yeah. a constant unease to it. Sure. There's not like a a major horror event unless maybe the last thing that happens in the movie, I guess. It seemed to result mostly in confusion. Yes. <laughs> uh yeah, I think thriller's a good way to put it. Uh there's a strong cast throughout. Yeah. You get a lot of different actors playing different parts. Um it's very nicely produced. Uh, the budget, or the, not the budget, the period details seem pretty nice. Like, they rented old cars, like, got period costumes for everything. Right. I did notice during the old Hollywood scene that fucking Lancelot Duval was reading a Spider-Woman comic from the 70s, but uh, <laughs> or for, I guess from the early 80s at this point, but I won't count that against him. I didn't catch that. Yeah, yeah. I was like, that ain't right. At that point, he'd be reading, like... Superman or like the oldest like Captain America stuff. Yeah, yeah. But uh it's got a uh so that that adds a lot of sheen to it uh for what's essentially a vignette film. Right. Uh but I do think that the framing device and kind of the using the mirror as a link between all of them serves it better than uh a more like loosely related setup wouldn't. Sure, sure. Like there's a just a thematic consistency up at least until perhaps the last like uh i thought like the not the last the penultimate scene mm-hmm. where they're in the hellfire club where there may or may not be a mirror somewhere right. <laughs> it's probably on the ceiling so you can watch yourself fuck oh yeah yeah well, we didn't look up there we need big 3d helmets so i can look up oh when yeah. i'm watching pornography <laughs> <laughs> but uh there was some, the soundtrack was pretty interesting. There was some good tense music. Uh, once again, they kind of used period correct music for the most part for those scenes. They had mm-hmm. like a little, like a string quartet and then kind of like a jazzy big band score for the old Hollywood mm-hmm. scene. Uh, I do think some of the scenes, like some of the vignette scenes did drag on perhaps a little bit more than I would like them to. Okay. Uh, I'll say in the first and third, I feel like there was maybe a little bit more development for the protagonist in them. Yeah. Yeah. And the others. Um, so I preferred those and I feel like they didn't go on quite as long. Right. But, uh, overall pretty good sex in there throughout some good, like I said, some nice framing, some good cinematography. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think it can, completely succeeds i do feel like there are some narrative weaknesses right uh 
I feel like perhaps they could have given maybe just maybe introduced Peter a little bit more before, like rather than just in a phone call. Right. Uh, maybe having tossed him in with her and Liz at the beginning and having a little bit more potential conflict set up would have been, yeah, would have paid off a little bit more. But uh, that's a minor criticism, and what overall is is a pretty uh, fun and unique film. I can't think of any other cursed mirrors, really, in uh, pornography that we've observed yet. Yeah. And I do think this is a nice light kickoff to uh, the Five Weeks of Fright. Yeah. As uh, we cross from the real world into the realm of the unreal, behind the mirror. Yes. Yes. We crossed into <laughs> the Narnia. You and me, buddy. Finally. Uh, Finally us in a... Uh... Allegory of Christianity. Yeah, we're going to be saved. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But this film, I would give it a solid three and a half. Okay. Yeah. uh, It's definitely unique. I think it's got an interesting high budget. But as I said, parts of it tend to drag on. And Mm -hmm. the narrative is good, but uh, it could have used a little fine tuning and maybe just... uh, five or ten minutes cut out of some of the sex scenes yeah like total just to give it just a little more yeah but uh i think as a as a film for the most part i would definitely recommend checking it out i think it's definitely a different film from sean costello it's far less uh violent yeah. than some of his other stuff we've yeah. seen it's a bit more toned towards that early 80s kind of couples film vibe a little bit not quite yeah. as much in this one but it's kind of like moving to like a softer territory where out and out like unpleasant rape is sort of being phased out. Right. Like there's a little bit at the beginning, but she stops objecting pretty quick when she's like, oh, yeah, I just asked for this from the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> uh, women can't make up their minds, right? Yeah, that's, that's that's the thing, right? Sometimes no means yes. Sometimes women be shopping and sometimes... I'm not going to say it. Boss said it. <laughs> I, I don't believe that. Boss, <laughs> take it back. Yeah, I completely take that back. I. <laughs> it just seemed like the just, funniest thing to say at the moment. She's just, you know, she's just a little, just a little ditzy. She just kind of forgot for a second. She's like, oh yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it happens to the best of us. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So for Pandora's Mirror, I think that this movie was really, I say interesting a lot, but I do think this was interesting in the sense that it is unique from a lot of the films that we've watched. It's not necessarily a complete departure from the uh, tropes and uh, conventions of the era or anything, but it definitely takes a different approach. It kind of has a creepy vibe to it, but it doesn't really have like the psychological weight of something like a corruption or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. There's no real. I think the biggest problem with this movie mm-hmm. is that uh, Pandora is the person that we're mostly following and and living through in yeah. the film. She's but not- we don't really establish her personality before any of this stuff starts happening. Yeah. We haven't really established what sort of obstacle she has in her life. I think you brought up the fact that, like, for example, Peter just kind of comes out of nowhere. Yeah. And they kind of give some background on it, but, like, in the very yeah. basic there sense. There needs, for something about, like, for a film about, like, obsession or something like that, I think you have to have 
a little bit more character development for it yeah. to be fully because you need to be able to know like what's driving them and as far as i can tell from this mm-hmm. she just like shiny things yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good takeaway from it <laughs> Yeah, because I think that if we had a few minutes at the beginning where we kind of established where Pandora is in her life, is she having trouble with Peter? Right. Um, you know, he he's going in this direction, she's going in this direction, their, their relationship's already weak. Mm-hmm. Or even if at the beginning of the film they're super happy with one another, and that makes the fact that she's becoming so withdrawn from him, like, that much weirder. Yeah. And it kind of explains why Peter and Liz are so confused by it. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think that that would do a lot. Because at the end of the day, I don't feel much attachment to Pandora. Mm. She is a woman who's interested in a mirror. And we as the audience can see that she's losing herself in it. But I don't necessarily care. Yeah, that I think was... (laughs) I think that was also... There's a little bit of trouble, like getting totally emotionally invested in her because she is sort of said one dimensional, right? In a lot of ways. And I mean, you know, I'm not going to watch every porno and be emotionally invested in the characters. Yeah. But I think the problem is this one has this kind of slow burn thing going on throughout, mm-hmm. and it's not really a comedy. There are a few comic moments, but generally speaking, it's not comedic. Yeah. And because of that, really my attachment to the plot would be with the characters and following them through this. Right. And I don't really care that much about them. Yeah. If you're having like, yeah, this sort of emotional arc and there's not, especially like in a slow burn, like a dramatic uh, yeah. thriller fantasy kind of film, you need that connection to this, like I said, to the character. And I think that's ultimately what the movie lacks. I think, the rest of it, it looks and sounds great. Yeah. I would say that, yeah, I, I think that if it was set up that, like, for example, Pandora was sexually unsatisfied at the beginning of the movie, that itself would, like, set the stage for all of this following it, mm-hmm. and it would make me empathize with her more. Right. As it stands, it's, I mean, the movie's fine. It's yeah. It's got, it's pretty well directed and edited the sex scenes are i would say decent i wouldn't necessarily say that they're exceptional but they're they're not bad in any way and there's good talent there i don't feel like they had a ton to work with there's a lot of butthole licking there is a lot of butthole licking and i appreciate that um the music is interesting it's not bad in any way it's decent um, it's not my favorite porn soundtrack or anything, but it's, it, it's functional and decent. Overall, I think I'd give it three stars. I think the movie is interesting enough mm-hmm. that people should go and see it. Um, this is the most recent, oh, yeah, the, uh, Vinegar yeah. Syndrome uh, yeah. Blu-ray release. Yes, that's why I think I chose it initially. And, uh, it's, it's definitely worth checking out. Mm-hmm. It's just... There's nothing about the film that's particularly exceptional to me, other than the fact that it's just kind of unique in a way. Um, but also, I wouldn't say that anything's bad about it. Yeah. You know, I, I gave my complaints about just uh, the character development and the plot, but you know, in the in the realm of pornography, you could do far far worse. So. Yeah. 
Um, I think it's a, uh, yeah, it's a well-made film that's more uh, style than substance in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, and it wa- you can tell it sort of wants to be substantive, but they're either were just, they weren't interested in taking it like far enough or there's time or budget constraints. Right. That kind of thing. You know, pretty much anything could happen that could really kind of goof up a movie a little bit. And once again, we also have to talk about, this is like an hour and 30 something minutes, which is just a little bit longer than some of the stuff we've been covering lately. Yeah. Um, So that should give it more time for development, but it doesn't seem like they were like, not even like in her name was Lisa Mm -hmm. that I think had stronger, like character development through flashbacks, uh, and got you more connected to her, even if you don't care that much that she died from getting hooked on the horse by <laughs> Vanessa Del Rio. You understand how she got there. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I would say. I would say that. Have you ever seen the movie? No. I haven't I, either. I have it on DVD, I think. Okay. Okay. Um, I know it's about a man who gets turned into a snake. Yeah, I know that. <laughs> okay, uh, uh, continue on, yes. I think that I would say if you don't want to watch this, maybe watch S- and tell us how <laughs> it is. Uh, and that'll guide us on whether or not we spend our time watching it later. Yeah, it's a favor for us. Like, we've given done this favor for you. Uh, if you're going to pick up, like, if you're, like, looking around for, like, the next Vinegar Syndrome Blu-ray or film you should pick up, I wouldn't say this would be my first choice from them. I yeah. would check out something like Stiff Competition. Oh, yeah, or, that's uh, a solid one. Yeah, that's a solid one. And they've done, I mean, they put out a ton of stuff we watch. Uh, but I would say like other recent ones we've covered from them, I think that would be where I would put my money first. Yeah, for sure. Uh, if you're a Sean Costello completist, there's no reason not to check this one out. Yeah, it's like a kind of weird Twilight Zone type thing that mm-hmm. was not as well crafted as a lot of the Twilight Zone episodes. Yeah. But it's it's interesting. It's no water power. It's no water power, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess I've said pretty much everything I can say about this film. Well, the one last thing that I'll say is that you should follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Raincoat Report. Yes. Raincoatreport at gmail.com if you want to email us, and then I probably won't respond to you. <laughs> I, I think I have actually responded to everybody. Good. Maybe. If I didn't, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. And uh, if you're going down to the Hellfire Club to go uh, take the throne of the queen of the club and uh, take some loads all over you, don't forget your raincoat. <laughs> Pandora, if we did, we did, we did, we'll give you everything, Pandora. Come to us, Pandora. We knew you'd come. Welcome home, Pandora. We knew you'd come.